the Making Sense of Life podcast number 28. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. The title for today's conversation has got a strange title. It's the God I Don't Understand. Now, if you know me from previous podcasts, you know you may well be surprised by such a title. We're very much about making sense of life and understanding life in what is an increasingly challenging and complex world. Well, the title's not mine. It actually comes from a book by our special guest, Chris Wright. So welcome, Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, nice to be here, Sunil. And it's great to be here. Um, Chris, uh, if, if Chris Wright, if you don't know, is married to Liz with uh, four married children and ten grandchildren. Um, Chris, you're the director of an organisation called Langham Partnership International mm-hmm. that seeks to equip and train church leaders in understanding and applying the Bible in their own and their congregation's lives. You're also an Old Testament scholar and you've written three books with, with the title Knowing God. Mm-hmm. Now, if anyone has studied and given their life to theology and matters to do with God, then it has to be you. <laughs> and yet, in 2008, you've written a book that I've got here in my hand, mm-hmm. The God I Don't Understand. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, if you don't mind me saying, that all seems rather odd. Mm-hmm. Why do you write this book? Well, Sunil, it's partly because uh, I think there are quite a few people who, if they are Christians, think that they have to be able to answer every question that anybody ever asks them. They've got to understand everything. And if they don't, they're somehow a failure. And so they get a bit uh, worried, anxious about that. Um, Or on the other hand, um, people, if they're not a Christian, may sometimes throw a question at their Christian friend, and if the Christian friend can't answer it, they can say, oh, there you are, you see, you don't know the answer, and so how can you explain your faith? And I think that uh, our faith is something that is far bigger than our understanding, which doesn't mean that we don't exercise our understanding and that we have God-given reason, rationality. It's what we humans do all the time. We think through things, we work it out, we sort it out, we solve it. But there are limits to that. And if God is what the Bible says he is, that is, that he's the creator of the whole universe, the creator of us in all our incredible capacity, then he must be greater than we are. So it seems to me to, as it were, stand a reason that God is going to be beyond our reason. There will be things we don't understand. And what I want to say to people is, and that's okay. Uh, In personal relationships, our knowledge of somebody, our love for somebody, our 
uh, trust in somebody will often go beyond being able to understand them all the time. I mean, that's what we sometimes say about our wives, isn't it? I mean, we're both married. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I've been married now for 46 years. And I, I love my wife daily, uh, dearly. I probably know her better than hopefully daily as well. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But, you know, to say that I understand her all the time or in every way would, would clearly be not true. Yes. Um, so I think it is with God. To say that there is something about, or there are things about God that I don't understand does not mean that I don't know him, that I don't love him, that I don't trust him, that I don't believe what he teaches us in the Bible, uh, that I don't recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as his gift to us, especially yes. at this time of Christmas, which is where we are coming up to yes. now. And it, it, but it doesn't come naturally because, I mean, we tend to intuitively think that the more committed someone is to their faith, the more they've studied the, the Bible, the more certain they should be, the mm -hmm. more confident they should mm -hmm. be not maybe just about their scriptures, but about everything in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I agree. Um, and I wouldn't want to feel that what I'm saying, that there are things about God I don't understand, to mean that I'm therefore uncertain about everything. Uh, I believe that there are things we can be completely certain about. As I said, what about my wife? I'm completely yes. certain that she loves me and that yes. I love her. Yes. There is certainty in our relationship, but that doesn't mean total understanding. So God has given us many things that we can be absolutely certain of, his love, his grace, yes. his goodness, etc. Uh, but some of these things go beyond understanding. Yes, but I think for a lot of people there is this issue about, and we're going to come to that, the whole issue about making sense of suffering and when things go wrong. And it can make some people very angry. You, you quote in your book the atheist uh, Richard Dawkins, who says in his book The God Delusion, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. I mean, it's, <laughs> he doesn't mince his words yeah, there. He doesn't. You can't say, is he, when's he going to say what he really means, you know. Um, that, of course, from Richard Dawkins, you can take from readings of some texts in the Old Testament, which you can then put into a great long list like that and make God out to be that kind of a character. Uh, there is a great deal to set alongside that and against that, uh, which shows God in a very different light indeed. Um, but I'm not quite sure where that question is going, because uh, if we're talking about the problem of suffering and evil in the world, which is there. Mm. Uh, it is equally a problem, as I say in my book, for atheists like Richard Dawkins, as to where then does goodness come from in the world. Yes, that's right. And if we just still hold on to that issue about trying to understand God and, and the example you gave earlier on in that we, 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 we love our wives, we, we have relationships with people who we love, but we don't fully understand them. Um, if we you talk about in the sense that there are things we don't understand about God, there are things that make us very angry. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we heard you know that that quote mm -hmm. from Richard Dawkins, but also things that disturb us, things that puzzle us, mm -hmm. things that fill us with gratitude. <coughs> Did you mm -hmm. want to talk to us about about examples of that and what you yeah. mean by that? Yes, and that's what I say in the preface of the book is that my non-understanding, as it were, of God is not only related to those things which are morally worrying mm -hmm. uh, in the Bible, and I agree that they are there, and I don't want to airbrush them out, 
But there are also things that um, I don't understand that I couldn't do without. Like, for example, um, why does God love us? Why does mm. God love me? Why does God love you? In all our imperfection, in, in all our, our flaws. sin, our yeah. selfishness, there is something mysterious about this um, relentless love that God pours out on us day by day. As Jesus said, even on those who hate him, you know, he still sends the sun and the rain and the kindness, the crops, the food on people, whether they love him or worship him or not. Why? That's that's a mystery. Also, uh, if we think of the cross of Christ, how and why did that achieve our salvation? Well, I'm absolutely certain that it did. I'm massively grateful to God that I can be saved because Jesus died to take away my sins. But if you ask me, have I worked it all out as to exactly how that works and why it does so, I think the answer is no, it is beyond our fathoming. Yes. Except that God tells us that he did. Yes. And you say in the book, and I, and I like the way you express it, that faith seeks understanding, it builds on understanding where it's granted, yeah. but faith ultimately does not depend on, on my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing new about that. I mean, yeah. in a sense, we, you know, here we are in the 21st century thinking that somehow with all our technology and, and modern devices and all that we can do, that somehow or other this is a problem for, for the 21st century. But it, it, it's, you know, it, it, it goes back 2,700 years even to the psalmist in Psalm 73, where uh, someone called Asaph writes about it. He says, surely God is good to people who trust him and live a pure life. But then he gets brutally honest, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He and, does. And yeah. you, could be th- you could be reading the newspaper or watching the TV today. You know, mm-hmm. He talks about how the evil, pe- evil people who do t- terrible evil seem to be triumphing they seem to be so happy and contented Mm -hmm. and carefree tell us about that yeah and he also goes on to say that they're getting away with it you know Mm. Uh, and that's what we see on the news and is often so upsetting that uh, people who commit great evils seem never to face justice or punishment Uh, and sometimes even when they do it isn't adequate we think while those who are struggling to get on to pay their taxes to live well you know get get hammered one way or another and all just seems so unfair Yes, um, and it so, isn't as simple as just saying, "Oh, well, you know, God punishes the bad people and no, He blesses the good people." It's, no, not, it's nowhere near it's, as. It's simple. not as simple as that because no. that often isn't what seems to happen in this life. Now, what of course the Bible does say is, and what the psalmist recognizes mm-hmm. in that psalm, Psalm seventy-three, is that there will come a time of God's judgment. There will be a putting of things right, and that even those who escape justice sometimes by dying before the they're called to justice. I mean, we've got these horrible cases of people who have committed all sorts of um, crimes against children, you know, mm. um, pedophiles and so on, who have died before they ever that was ever caught up with them. Yes. And But uh, those sins are not unknown to God. There is no. a putting right, there is a judgment. And that is part of, if essentially part of the good news of the Bible, is that these things will not be swept away in the end. And what the psalmist recognizes is when he goes into the place of worship, he says in right. the psalm, when he is confronted with the reality of the God he knows and worships, then he comes to a better perspective. Now, that doesn't mean that he's suddenly rescued out of those problems mm-hmm. or that evil people will stop getting away with it. But what he realizes is that up to that point, he's seeing something which is true, but it's not the whole truth. So can we just dissect that? So he's, he's looking at the world outside and he's seeing all the suffering that's happening and, he can't, and, and all the evil that's going on. And he's getting quite angry, despondent, frustrated by it all. <clears throat> but he says he goes into the house to... What do, what do we mean by that? He goes into to worship? Because it, it, it... 
Well, in his case, it would have meant that he went to the place of worship with his fellow Israelites, either to the temple or uh, to the sanctuary, wherever that was, and he joined in uh, the worship of the living God, which of course included uh, the recital of the mighty acts of God in the past, mm. their own story, the history of God's salvation. It would uh, included the, the praise of God as a God of grace and mercy and a God of judgment and justice. And by putting himself back into that story, mm. the story of the God of the Bible, he was able to recognize this story isn't over yet. Yes. And I'm only seeing a small slice of the great yes. story of human history. So if you think about like a movie, I suppose, there's, yeah. where there's a particular scene which may be very, very difficult and very tragic. Yeah. But he's looking at, but if you see the whole context exactly. of the movie. It's not the end of the movie yet. Yeah. In fact, he says that at one point. He says, then I saw their end. In other words, he sees that what's happening in the present, if it's very unfair and unjust, is not the end of the story. And when you look at the end of the story, then he sees that those who have committed all these evils are in a very slippery place indeed. Mm. Uh, they actually do face God's judgment uh, if they have died without repentance or without change. Uh, so that psalm, I think, is is quite important. In some ways, it's almost like a kind of text for this whole book because it's... Yeah. It shows us, by the way, it shows us that in the Bible itself, they were wrestling with this problem. Yes. It, it's not something just that we wrestle with. I mean, it's there yeah. in the book of Job, it's in the book of Jeremiah, it's in the Psalms. Yes. Even Jesus in the Garden yes. of Gethsemane says, why, or on the cross says, why, Lord, why have you forsaken me? So understanding, so understanding God and having faith from a biblical perspective is not, as it were, say, like in Buddhism, whereby the sense of complete calm mm. and serenity and say it's all just... You know, it, it's all illusion, or it's all just happening. No, it's not. It's not that kind of abandonment of reality. Um, the Christian worldview is a very earthy worldview. It takes the world seriously. It says there is such a thing as evil and suffering and injustice in the world, but according to the story that the Bible tells, God not only has accepted it, borne it, and defeated it through the cross of Christ, where He took it on Himself. But he will ultimately destroy it. And that's mm. that's the great vision of the end of the Bible story in the book of Revelation. And we're going is, to come to is that. that destruction yeah. of evil at the end. We're going to come to that. But before we do, and as we try and sort of dissect this whole issue about suffering and trying to make sense of suffering. Mm. Uh, and as we said, it, it's probably the number one reason people give for not believing in God. We had that, that mm. quote from Richard Dawkins earlier on. But very interesting, you say in your book that the question of evil and suffering is actually a uniquely biblical problem. It's not so big a problem for other religions like that, which well, is yes. surprising. <clears throat> yeah, um, I don't mean that other people in other religions don't suffer wrongly. Of course not. We all do. You know, every human being in the world yes. suffers in some way or another. Yeah. What I mean is that from the point of view of the philosophy of other religions, particularly, let's say, if you, if you believe like Buddhists and Hindus, that re all reality is one and there's ultimately no distinction, no mm. difference between the material and, and the spiritual, between good and evil, then you end up more or less uh, simply dissolving the problem in some higher ultimate reality, which you'll only see when which you get to Which transcends good and evil. And which everything. Is, well, yeah, in other yeah. words, that distinction disappears, mm. uh, which is not, at any rate to me, very convincing. Yeah, if it's you're, something about like, like a drop of water merges with the whole ocean and, yes, and it loses its consciousness, lose, it loses yeah. its whole... So Identity, other, yeah. exactly. So in other words, it, it ends up, you, you, you solve the problem of evil, but you destroy human uniqueness. You destroy the human individual in the process, and, and that seems a very destructive thing. Evil also is not a problem for religions that have many gods, polytheism, mm -hmm. because what they do is they, 
they put the problem of the conflict of good and evil into the divine sphere and say, well, if there are many gods and they some of them are good and some of them are evil and many of them are a mixture of both, then what else do you expect on earth? If the gods yes. are like that, then that's the way. So polytheism is a very plausible kind of thing because it says, well, you've got loads of good and evil gods, you've got loads of good and evil life. Mm. Problem of evil is, I think, um, a problem for the Christian faith precisely because of what the Bible affirms, namely that there is one God, not many, mm. that he is good, mm. ultimately that God is good, not there's no evil in God yes. himself, and thirdly that God is sovereign, that he is all-powerful. Yes. And so the big dilemma then comes, well, if God is all-good and all-powerful, then either he wants to stop the suffering in the world, but he can't. He hasn't got the power to do he it. He hasn't got the power to do it. Yeah. Or he could stop it if he wanted to, but he doesn't. So obviously mm. he mustn't love us very much, so he isn't good. And so you end up with that kind of yes. challenge and dilemma, which is what biblical people, not just Christians in the modern era, but Jews as well, all through their history, yes. have wrestled with this precisely because we have a faith which is monotheistic, yes. biblical theistic faith. Um, it has this problem. Now, what I said earlier was, of course, that atheists have... Um, the opposite and equal problem of where and how do they explain the origin or the arrival of that within human beings there is goodness because it's very difficult to explain altruistic goodness mm. particularly self-sacrificial goodness that human beings will give themselves for the sake of someone else on a purely evolutionary theory of human origins now, i'm not denying the scientific hypothesis of evolution I'm simply saying that if that is all there is, yes. uh, if that is the only way of explaining human life, then there's something about human beings which is a bit odd. Yes. Namely, that we are able to do things which are actually quite contrary to our yes. own self-interests. And I said what's fascinating about the Bible is that you, you, see, you see this um, grappling. Mm -hmm. it's, it's there out in the open. Mm -hmm. And I think often what happens that in, in other contexts that grappling and those asking those questions is is hidden it's not um it's not discussed exactly that, i mean that is one of the marvelous things about biblical faith is that it is honest and open i mean you read something like job or ecclesiastes mm. or some of these psalms and some of them are quite shocking yes because they they say things that you almost think well you know a believer shouldn't say that you know yes that's um, right yeah. but it's almost as if god says look I'm big enough. I can take those problems. You know, my chest is big enough for you to beat on. Yes. And uh, Jeremiah does it. Jeremiah says, God, I don't understand. You've cheated me. You know, um, everything's going wrong. Yes. I wish I'd never been born. Yeah, Job curses the day that he was yeah. born. He said, I so, wish I'd never been born. Right. Yeah. So yes. clearly the Bible allows us the freedom to question, to protest, to lament, to get angry. And if evil is what it is, then we should be angry. Yes. That's part of the point, is that anger against evil is not wrong. In fact, it's absolutely right. Yes, and being open and honest like that. You, you say that for those of us who are disciples of Christ, the question of suffering is not so much why, because the why question is very much wanting God to make himself accountable to us. Yes. Whereas the more important question is, how long is this going to go on for? Exactly. That's that's what the Bible... I mean, sometimes they do ask why. Even Jesus asks why. Yes, yeah, on the cross. On why the cross, why, yeah. why but, you first have second me? Yes. The, 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 the key issue is, how long will this go on? Behind that question, how long must this go on, lies the assumption, the assumption 
that some when it's going to stop. Yes. In other words, God has promised to bring about an end to evil and suffering and sin and the curse. Yeah. And so the question we have is, Lord, please, how long is it going to be before you do? Yes. And that's what, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, they're asking that question, how long, O oh Lord, before you judge the wicked and, and vindicate those who, who, who've been innocently put to death and so on? Uh, and we cling on to that promise of God that ultimately he will. So the question is not, can we discover an explanation for evil, but rather, can we trust in God's promise to destroy yeah. evil? And this is not an academic exercise. This is oh, really very much about it, about our own personal lives and the things that we each personally struggle with. It's existential. Yes. Oh, yes. It, and for many people, it can be deeply threatening. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you make a distinction between two types of evil, what you call moral evil and natural evil. Mm. Do you want to expand on that for us? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a distinction which I'm not entirely happy with myself but a, a lot of philosophers do make distinction moral evil means things which are wrong and evil because we do them or we cause them and we are culpable because we do in other words we are to blame and all I try to say in the book is that actually a vast proportion of the human suffering that goes on in the world is the result of human causation human willfulness human willfulness obstinacy and pride yeah. injustice pride violence you know, lust, greed. Um, there are so many things that happen in the world which cause enormous amounts of suffering, which we could do something about, mm. but don't. Yes. But then there are things which happen in our world which are sometimes called natural disasters, which don't seem to have any human causation. You know, earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, and so on. Um, hurricanes, whatnot. Um, and... I'm not even sure that it's right to call them evil. They are, in a sense, the way the world is. Uh, if there were no... Well, what causes tsunamis and earthquakes? It's the moving of the tectonic plates and the surface of the earth. Well, it's the moving of the tectonic plates which has produced the upthrust of the mountains. If there were no mountains, yes. there would be no climate, there would be no <laughs> rivers, there would be no soil. Yes. If there were no volcanoes, there would be no soil. So life on earth, in a sense vegetable life, animal life, human life on this planet is only possible because of the the way the Earth because is geologically constructed. Yes. Now, the fault lines that are there. Yeah, that are there. And the brokenness that's there. And yeah. I find it rather arrogant to say to God, well, you should have made this planet somehow rather differently and mm. stopped all that. Yeah. One of the difficulties, of course, is that a great deal of the suffering that is caused by those so-called natural disasters is aggravated by human evil or yeah. human folly. Or the lack of political will. I mean, we know that um, far more people will always suffer in an earthquake in a third world country mm. than in a Western country because of corruption, because of lack of building regulations, yeah. because of, you know, faulty, faulty things, yeah. or because of political ill will. And yet we're so quick to blame God for it all. Oh, yeah. And yet we have a role to play in it Absolutely. as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I sometimes think when we shout up at God, you know, how can you allow this? I hear, as it were, heaven replying, you know, well, look, you've got umpteen million children dying every day of preventable diseases and mm -hmm. starvation. How can you allow that? Yes. Yeah. You know, how can we as human beings blame God? We go silent at that point. We, we, yeah. We're very quick to, to yeah. get angry, but then we don't want to talk, to talk about that. But then we've been that we've been like that since the fall. You know, mm. I mean, that's 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 typical of human life is that we want to blame somebody else. Yes. And so there is, this, as you say, this huge mystery as well about evil as to in terms of 
where did it come from? Okay, you, you say, this is on page 55, he says, the, the Bible compels us to accept that there is a mysteriousness about evil that we simply cannot understand. And maybe it's good that we can't understand it because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is so complex. And the Bible, but the Bible also allows us to lament, protest and be angry at the offensiveness of evil. And it's right that we should. So we, we talked about, you know, it's, we talked earlier on about it. It, it's, it is actually very biblical to, to get angry at the injustice and evil of the world. But what about this 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 mystery about mm. evil as well, and you know this whole issue about the devil and, and all yeah, these yeah, kinds of things? Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, because surely modern, you know, if we talk about not in, in modern age, you talk about the devil, and people think, well, somebody with with horns and, yeah, exactly. and all this kind of thing. Yeah, all that sort of mythology, which is not the way the Bible describes it. Well, let's let's start uh, way back close to the beginning. Um, in Genesis chapter three, we read that story of how the serpent um, tempts. Eve and then Eve and Adam together um, choose to um, do what the serpent tempts them to do, which is di to disobey God. And as they disobey God, uh, then sin enters into their lives and into their mm. environment and into their relationship and everything else. Now, what's quite important is to realize that that story, Genesis 3, sometimes called the story of the fall, is not an account of the origin of evil in the right. universe. Okay. What it's describing is the entry of evil into human life yes because god had created the uh, created the garden and, yeah. and everything was good and yet something comes in that's something right. comes in yeah. and if you ask the question how did the serpent get to be quote more cunning than any other in in the way the story is told we're not told that's not explained mm. now we'd later, love to know we'd love to know but it doesn't answer we're not told later that. on in the bible there are references to the fall of uh, an angelic being sometimes mm. called the satan which means the accuser uh, or the ancient serpent in the book of Revelation who is cast down out of heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are some hints of a, uh, a turning towards evil among the, what can we call this, the pre-human creation? In other right. words, angelic spiritual creatures before, right. um, who are referred to in the Bible. But if we then ask the question, well, how did that happen? How, how come that creatures, even spiritual creatures, angels, that God had created, how did they turn to be evil? And if we ask that question, the Bible simply doesn't tell us. It doesn't give the, any, any answer. And what I say in the book is that as you ponder that, it's almost as if that silence is quite intentional. Mm. It's as if we're saying to God, God, I want to make sense of evil. Please tell me where it comes from. Mm. And God says, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. So the Bible's not and, if you and, like a, like a textbook of anatomy that wants to dissect everything and, and yes. legislate all bare for you. That it, 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 it's because in a sense we're part of the story. We're we're in the story. We're part of the tapestry, and yes. it's, the threads of a tapestry can't see the whole tapestry. But the point I try to make in the book at that point is, why do I say this is a good thing? Mm. Because what we want to do as human beings is make sense. Yes. Right. That's your whole podcast title. Yes. We are wired to make sense. We've got mm. brains, we've got intellect, we've got rationality, which I believe is the gift of God. Yes. So whenever we come up against anything in the universe that we haven't met before, we try to make sense of it. We build it in to a structure of understanding uh, of the universe from the subatomic level right through to the macroastronomical level plus our own DNA. And we've, we've achieved so much. We're brilliant we've, at that. We've yeah, done we so are fantastic. Much. Yeah, we are amazing creatures that we have the great capacity to understand, to, to integrate mm. knowledge into a coherent, rational, making sense mode. That's what we're good at. So we come up against things that are evil. 
And we ask, where's the sense in that? You know, somebody gets killed. You know, somebody's run over. Somebody murdered somebody. Mm. Where's the sense in that? And we can't answer it. And the reason we can't answer it is because there is no sense. Yes. Making sense is a good thing. Mm. Making sense is part of the image of God in us. Sense is God's gift. But evil does not make sense. Evil is absurd. It is out of place. It right. is. It has no rational, legitimate justified yes. place within God's yes. creation and in that sense the fact that we can't understand it is good because to understand something means to grasp it to give it legitimacy to interpret it to give it a rational place in the universe and God's saying you ain't going to do that with evil no. that's not what it's there for evil is not there to be understood evil is there to be eradicated and destroyed right. it's there, it's, yeah, so there's nothing redeemable in evil at all no. it's com- Although, yeah, that that is true. There's nothing redeemable. C.S. Lewis used to say that evil is really a a parasite on good. That's to say, evil can only exist because good already does. In other words, the serpent could only tempt Adam and Eve to to disobey because they were already created in God's good creation. Evil is parasitic. Yes. Uh, It's not primary. It's It's not primary. It's not ontologically itself. So therefore... um, at the end of the day, not only does evil not belong in the universe, but evil has no independent reason for existence. Now, we, we, as I say, we can't understand that. We don't yes. know where that comes from. And if someone's listening and saying, can you not explain it better? And the answer is, no, I can't. And it's right. good that I can't. I'm yes. not trying to explain it. And, and is Chris part of reason as well? Because, again, we said it, we're part of the tapestry. Yes. This is not an academic exercise, no. which we want to, which we look at objectively. This yes. is about your life, my life, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the listener's life, and, and the things that we're all grappling with. And it's also about the paradox, the enigma of human life, which is that um, we all know that there is something incredibly good and dignified mm. about human beings. I mean, even even sick, um, disordered, disabled human beings, human beings who, who lack lots of things that most of us take for granted, you as a, you know, as a physician, you know this, that even the most impoverished in all sorts of ways human beings still has wonderful dignity and humanity value. and value absolutely yes regardless of whether they're yeah. learning disabled or they're Astro- an astrophysicist exactly. or whatever yeah. so there is a wonderful goodness and dignity about human life and we are capable of the most enormous goodness and love yes. and compassion and self yet at the same time we know that we are capable of the most appalling evil from the earliest age. I mean, just listening on yeah. the news tonight to that story of two young boys, 10 and 11, mm. torturing two other little boys oh. of 8 and 9, you know, years ago now. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're coming up, the court case has come back. And you think, how can, quotes, innocent children... Well, we'd like to think of innocent. We'd like to think of innocent. Children aren't as innocent as we think uh, because there is something within human beings which... How can we put it? Which colludes, yes, which resonates with something that is evil, that is out there, which is external to ourselves, but has got a foothold within us, yes. And that is the paradox of human life: that we yes. are simultaneously incredibly good, capable of incredible goodness, and radically mm. flawed. And of course, the radical message of the Bible is that no is. It, in a sense, it makes sense of the whole totality of life that, yes, there is so much goodness in the world, so much beauty. Yes. And yet we look at the world and we see how it's broken in so many places. We yeah. see disasters that happen. Mm-hmm. We look at we look at children in, in their in their wonder and their innocence. Mm-hmm. 
and yet we see so much brokenness as well. And I think yeah. it's only the, the biblical worldview that can hold that tension it in does. place. And it does it through the story that the Bible tells, that we were created by God. God created the world, created it good mm. and wholesome, uh, with all the potential for human life and, and all our capacities. Incredibly good in creation, but it's radically flawed because of our choice to collude with evil, to, yes. su to succumb to the temptation to... To, to distrust God's goodness and to reject God's authority and to overstep God's limits yeah. and to make ourselves the um, arbiters of what is good and evil. So that's in the story of Genesis yeah. 3 as well, where God says, look, um, don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I think is the, is the morality tree. It's the tree of not the knowledge of what constitutes good and evil. And God says, you know, leave that to me. I, I'll tell you protect you from it but we choose to say no no we don't want that protection we don't want those limits we'll decide that for ourselves yes. and then we make an enormous mess of it okay so let, let's let's if you like because the climax of the understanding in a strange sort of way is with the cross um you talk you, we've talked about the utter evilness of evil we've mm. talked about the utter goodness of god we've talked about that god is sovereign that he's mm. in control and yet you say on page 141 of your book, you say, of all the things that lead me to speak of the God I don't understand, the cross is the top of the list. Hmm. Why do you say that? Well, partly because it's so it's precious. Cross is, it, the cross it, is central to, to the Christian yes, faith. Yes, yes, yes. It, but it's so precious. But you yeah. see, I mean, let's go back to our original illustration. Who is the most precious person to me in my life mm. is my wife. Mm. You know, but... Uh, for, for that very reason uh, that that relationship is so precious, uh, those parts of who she is in her own individuality and personality and thought life and everything else that I don't understand. So to say that the cross is precious to me, it's, it, it, the fact that I am a sinner, that I've been saved and forgiven by the love of God that was poured out when Jesus Christ voluntarily suffered on the cross and took our sin upon him. Mm -hmm. To me, that is a, a gift of grace than which nothing else could be more precious in this life. Yes. But at the same time, I have to say, if I try to penetrate into some of the mysteries of the cross, for example, who was on the cross? Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. A man like you and me, a yes. human being. But also, the Bible tells us very clearly that that is God. God yes. was in Christ. So in a sense, then, where is God? Well, God the Father is there too, because God the Father, who is still, as it were, in heaven, and God the Son. How is that working? How, yes, how? yes, you say that. You say, I mean, how does it all work? How did one man's bleeding body yeah. stretched on two pieces of wood for six hours of torture and death on a particular Friday, one spring outside a city in a remote province of the Roman Empire, change everything in the universe? Because mm. that's, that's, the, that's the incredible message of the Bible. It is. It's the claim that is made, and it's made by Jesus himself and by the apostles and all those who knew him. They came to recognize that this was the defining moment of history because that the one who was on that cross was God himself, bearing the sin and evil of the world in his sovereignty and in his love. Yes in utter powerlessness, exercising the greatest power in the universe. I mean, that, that's the paradox. Yes. That he chose to be there to, to take it for us. So there's something about the evil of the world that we've just talked about. 
and you, you alluded to it earlier on, this issue about sin. And so sin is something that's not just out there, but that also, if you like, infects each yeah. one of us. Yes. Do you want to just dissect a bit more about, well, about, it, about this issue of sin? I think, I mean, I think psychologically as well as spiritually, that's true, isn't it? I mean, we know that we live in a world in which we are surrounded by opportunities of evil and pre the, the realities of evil, you know, the temptations of corruption or of bribery or of speeding or whatever. I mean, the temptations mm. are always there. Yes. Evil is out there. Yes. To cross to the line, to, yeah. to, to do what we know we shouldn't do. That's right. But that has to be a subject of choice. I, yes. uh, nobody forces me to do evil, mm. um, except in very rare circumstances where that can be the case, where somebody is forced to commit an act which is wrong. Um, but normally, we we collude with it. We choose. We yes. we decide that this would be so. Sin. That's why I use these two words: sin and evil. Sin, I think, can only be described as something that we do. Yes. It is an act and a choice in our will. Yes. Evil does have a certain externality yes. about it as well. It's something that's out there that tempts us, that yes. draws yes. us, that or that confronts us. And that's really, and with with the sin, I, I, I like the sort of children's definition of sin as s i n as in sort of shove off God, which means mm. sort of God. You get out of the way. I want to be in charge. Yes. So the eyes, I'm in charge, and then no to God's way. It's my way, mm -hmm. basically, like yeah, that. That's right. Um, so, so there's that proclivity yes. to want to go in my own way and to put myself in charge. Yes, I think that's that's a good definition of sin. It it, it goes right back to the uh, the story of the Garden of Eden in Genesis three, which is exactly what happens. That uh, you know, Adam and Eve decide that they will not um, simply accept God's authority to tell them to, you know, how to live, but they will say, no, we'll do that for ourselves. And, and, and I'm trying to find the right words to put it. This is such a serious issue that, it, that, that, that God has to go to such extreme lengths mm. of sending his son Jesus to the world mm. and putting him through such enormous suffering. I mean, one of the things that people struggle with a lot is... Why should God be so angry? Well, the anger of God is, is in a sense, the converse of God's love. Because um, people say, how can you uh, love and uh, be angry? Well, yeah. Um, and uh, especially in our day and world, in, 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 in Western world, you know, this idea of... The, I know. That love, you know. The idea that love and anger are opposites is actually really quite false. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot to show. I mean, um, I mean, you, you're in... in uh, you know, psychological care and so on. I, I, yeah, and psychology. I'm, I've been in pastoral ministry. And uh, I've sat with a woman, with my wife and I together, with a woman right. telling us about the, you know, the behavior of her husband, which was being unfaithful, basically. Mm. Um, and she was very, very angry mm. because the one, the, the person who was supposed to love her and be faithful to her was being unfaithful. But at one point, in the midst of her anger and her tears, she just says, but I love him so much, I just want him back. And that struck me as being a very important truth. Mm. Because if, if she had not been angry at all about his unfaithfulness, yes. it would have shown she didn't really care, she didn't yes. really love him. If he, if he wanted to go off and meet, well, that's, that's okay, you know, I don't care yes. about him. The fact that she was angry at his behaviour yes. was actually a function of how much she loved him. Yes. But equally... If she hadn't loved him, 
she wouldn't have got angry about about his behaviour, you know. And, so, and, and so we're so confused about that, aren't we? Because yeah. we think if, if we love someone, we'll just let them do what they want. Well, but that's but, not true. But that's not actually love. That's not true in real relationships. It's, 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 yeah. We're not actually thinking it through. No, indeed. Yeah. So to say, you see, the, when I say anger is the, um, the uh, obverse side of God's love, what I mean is God, as the good creator, mm. wants nothing more than that human beings should live with life, fulfillment, joy and satisfaction in God's good creation, that human beings should flourish in this life and in the new creation and for all eternity. And what makes God most angry is anything that gets in the way of that. Yes. In the same way as we've both got children, if you love your children, what you want for them is the very best they can have. Yes. In life. Now, if somebody comes along and starts messing around with that, if a teacher teaches treats your child unfairly yes. you're angry with the teacher you can identify with if that, somebody yes. you know bops your child in, in the playground you get angry with the bully yeah, yeah. because you love and so anger and love are when when the object of your love is being spoiled or being um, going in that direction of, of um, evil and wrong then anger is the response which God in a sense is protecting his love it's also of course the fact and this is the way the Bible puts it that the consequences of our sin and evil rebound upon us. Yes. That's to say, although it's sometimes described as the anger and wrath of God, there is a sense in which all God has to do is simply let the evil things that we insist on doing reap their own consequences. Yes. So, you know, we sometimes we suffer the consequences of our own folly and sin. Yes. And the, the Bible is saying, in the end, ultimately... If a human being goes on and on in a sinful, stupid, you know, folly way, rejecting the love of God, disobeying God's law, paying no attention to the gospel and to what God mm. is offering to them, then in the end, um, God leaves them in that position and says, okay, you have it your way, and for all eternity you will have to live without me. Yes. And living it's without... It's like sort of sawing off the branches. Yes. You're, you're and the living branches without God yeah. means living without life and light and love yes. and hope because he's the origin because of all he's things. the origin of all those good things uh, and therefore to be deprived of god is to be deprived of all that is good and to be surrendered therefore to evil which is effectively to suffer the wrath of god yes and that's that's why the bible gets serious mm. about the consequences of sin and that's why in a sense and, and that's why jesus god sent jesus into the world Yes. To suffer in our place. Yes, or I would put it slightly differently. Yeah. Um, I would say it's why God himself entered the world in the person of Jesus in order to suffer with us and for us. Because what we shouldn't, I think, do is imagine, as it were, an angry God up in heaven and a mm. victim's son down on earth and God simply, as it were, sends him and punishes him instead as if there are two separate people, people. involved. Right, yes. Because the, we're coming up to Christmas and the... The, the basic theology of the incarnation is that God himself chose to enter into our world. Yes. This, of course, is part of the, the mystery of the Trinity, is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. And so the, the, when the Son is on earth, it's not that God has left heaven. <laughs> yes. Um, but that God is on earth now. So this is part of the mystery here, isn't it? it? Is. It's, it's, and yes. so the, the son who is suffering at the cross and all through his life is God himself. Sure. This is God himself taking us. It, yes. it is the self-offering and self-substitution of God. Yes. Uh, it's really very important, I think, to say that. 
it's not as if you could look at Jesus on the cross and say that on the cross God died. Mm. But what you do have to say is that the man who died on the cross was God. Was God. Okay. Subtle but very important. Subtle but hugely important important. So so again, and, and if you like, there is... That is part of that mystery. It is a mystery. That is part of the God I don't understand. Exactly. Because why should he, in the first place, do that? Mm-hmm. And how is it, in a mysterious way, that God himself is the sacrifice mm-hmm. that makes me right mm-hmm. with him? God yeah. takes it himself. God, God absorbs that evil, takes the consequences on himself, suffers the penalty and the consequences on the cross. Uh, and then... Um, God raised him from the dead. In, in other words, mm. God is still at work, both in the death of Jesus as God's son and in the resurrection of Jesus yes. as God's son. God is, or as Paul put it very simply, he said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, which is a marvellous way of summarising wow. it. Chris, a very rich conversation. Mm. Uh, there's so much in this book. Uh, we're going to do another podcast on this, but the book is The God I Don't Understand by, by Chris Wright. Um, it, there'll be a link to it on um, on the show notes that, that, that go with, with this podcast. Um, there's a lot more we could talk about, and we will talk more mm-hmm. about this, um, may, and building on the resurrection. But thank mm-hmm. you very much for your time. Okay. And um, good to talk, Samuel. Good to thank talk. You. Thank okay. you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.